change is in the air. It has to be. There's just no choice in the matter. Right now, we're in the midst of so many different revolutions in the world and so many different cataclysmic moments that we have to encourage a sense of change, a wish to move forward. We have to encourage it in ourselves. We have to encourage it in others. And, of course, rolling for change is all about using games as a medium for change. And there are so many opportunities that we have. Now, given, we're in the midst of a pandemic. It's made being a board gamer very challenging. But there are places, there are websites you can go to to play games with people online. And so the real trick is to nurture change within yourself, to recognize that we're not perfect people. We're always working towards something different, something better. And to work on ourselves, because right now we can't really do a lot about the world as a whole. We can stand up and be counted. We can make our votes clear. We can speak our truths and express our feelings, hopefully in a way that's safe for others and safe for us. So we're left with us. We're right there. We're with ourselves at all times. And my encouragement to you as you play online games, as you play games in which you are engaging with people over Zoom and over Roll20 and all the different things, is that you look internally, you work internally to make yourself the better person that you can be, and I'm working to make myself the better person I can be. We're all working together, and we're working separately. That said, this episode is... I'm just I'm just so excited to, to put this episode out there because we talked to Menachem Cohen, who is a... He uses role-playing games as a spiritual path. That is the epitome of what we're talking about when we're talking about games making a transformational change in our lives. Using a game to explore the self, using a game to explore those roles that we don't normally play, using a game to explore the roles we do play. There's so much fantastic stuff that we can identify here. And if we just take the time, if we just make the effort to reflect, and I know that's like the keystone of what Rolling for Change is, reflect on your experience. Look back, look into yourself. It may sound airy-fairy, but the fact is if you can get in touch with that part of yourself that is facing conflict, that is feeling uncomfortable, that is feeling out of whack, then you can start trying to figure out what's causing you to feel out of whack, and you can start trying to emerge from that blockage in some kind of healthy way. So I'm excited for this episode very much, and I hope that you will be too. This is Josue, myself, and McNachem Cohen talking about using role-playing games as a spiritual path of development. And we get into some of the things that Menachem has done in order to bring that forward into our world. So, I hope you're as excited as I am by now. If you're not, you've already turned back. (laughs) But thanks for staying. Here's our show.
Welcome to Rolling for Change, a podcast about the transformational nature of gaming. Today we have with us Menachem Cohen, who is a advocate for spirituality and role-playing, particularly Dungeons & Dragons. Um, I also have my co-host, Josue Cardona, with us. Hello. Not as exciting as an introduction, but... Happy to well, be here also. I, yeah, no, I wasn't either. <laughs> I'm terrible this morning. I'm having a tough time. I apologize. It's tough times we live in. Yeah. yeah. Fair enough. The amazing, the incredible Josue Cardona. Too late now, but I appreciate oh, shit. it. <laughs> editing, the whole editing. idea is to highlight the person that we're bringing on and downplay us. I know, I know. I'm joking. <laughs> Welcome both of you. I'm excited to talk about this. I, I'm I'm really excited to talk about this because in all of the time that I've been looking at how games can transform us, I think, Menachem, you are the first person I have met that has talked about it being a tool for spiritual discovery. So that's that's a fantastic sort of claim, and I'd like to get into how we get to that point uh, sure. to... to how does Dungeons and Dragons become a spiritual thing from being, you know, the the scapegoat of many people in the eighties for, you know, what's causing our kids to have problems? Can I I, I, I want to say real quick, I want to shout out to another podcast that Woody and I do called Conspiracy of Light, <laughs> which is a discussion about the twenty five year old science fiction television series Babylon Five. And on that show, we have had conversations about souls and the afterlife and so many things that I would consider, you know, spiritual topics that we've never really gotten to touch on here. Um, we get to explore and flex those muscles over there. So I'm so excited <laughs> to do this on, on, on uh, Rolling for Change. Just got to say, I want to pl- plug that one over there. <laughs> I'm definitely excited to be here. How did you come to this idea, Menachem? Well, back in the 90s, I was playing a second edition psionicist, Wood Elf and Karen Woodwalker. And he had a habit of talking his way out of all sorts of situations. And I was like, that's not me. I'm quiet, reserved. That's just my character. And then one day it hit me, wait, that is me. I'm the one saying the words that are getting Karen out of all these situations. And I realized that I was developing skills and learning about myself and building some confidence by playing Dungeons and Dragons. Um, I've always been interested in spirituality. You know, I'm a a rabbi and a spiritual director in addition to a game designer. And and when I boil my rabbinate down to its core, my work is really to be here with people on their spiritual journeys. So as I was playing games over the last several decades, I started learning about geek therapy and people using games for education and social skill building and therapeutic groups and was discussing with friends and colleagues about self-discovery and spiritual work in games. I had a colleague who was getting his certificate in spiritual direction and he decided to do a 5e campaign when 5e first came out to see how you could use Dungeons and Dragons in spiritual work and I got to play in that campaign with him. It was not that different from regular D&D in the actual play of the game. You know, we would play the game as our characters, but we put a certain kind of intention into character creation. 
meeting with um, Dungeon Master David to work on our characters, and he would ask us questions about what were we putting in the character. You know, naturally, when we play without thinking about it, we either make characters like ourselves or different from ourselves, right? And we do that without even trying. And the question was, what if we did that with intention? And, okay. when we, and then when we play the game, we would start each game with a kind of a ritual. You know, we all, there is the much discussed magic circle theory out there in the game design world. And we would very intentionally create the space of the game with some silence, a little meditation, and then discussing what was on our mind concerning the game. And then we would each say our player name and the rest of the party would say our player name. And then we'd say our character name, and they would say our character name to bring us into the circle. Then we'd play, and at the end, we would have more silence, some reflection on what happened for the game, answering questions like, what do I want to keep with me from the game? What do I appreciate about other people's play, about my play? And then we would reverse the name thing, saying our character name, then our player name to exit the circle. some nice ritual going on there and and i'm just i'm just in awe of this idea of meditating before and after a game not only does that just like match my my sense of how we can use games as a space that is sacred but it, it it's so foreign to i mean if you go to like a convention and you play games there's no time for reflection no time for you know, it's a completely different experience. So we're looking at, at gaming as a very sacred pursuit. I mean, how often do we talk about that here, right? Even just taking time to reflect, right? Which is a version of that. Like, what just happened? Let's talk about that before we leave. Oh, love that. That's yeah. something that, I mean, and the, we've been releasing some episodes of a campaign under the name Geek Therapy Adventures. And we decided that Every few episodes, we're going to take the time to reflect on what we did. This isn't exactly what we're talking about here, right? But I, I think I think it's in the same vein. Like, there's something that happens in those games. There's some important stuff. And in, in this case, we're actually recording it already, so it's it's preserved. But there isn't that time to come back together and think about what just happened and discuss it. And, like, that's that's the magic of it, right? That's that's There's so much that we can take away from that that is... I don't know. I think there's still something that you take with you, but there's so much that that's kind of lost if you don't take the time to reflect on it and and spend time with it. Love yeah, it. yeah. The idea of debriefing is very much in line with this spiritual work I'm talking about. Yeah, spending yeah. time after the game. Yeah. You know, I was at Gen Con. I think it was about three or four years ago, and I met the, the folks who created. I think it was called Clockwork. It might have been Clockwork Kingdom. I can't remember the name of the role-playing game, but what I what I recognized in that game as we were, and this is our first time at Gen Con, this is our first time playing role-playing games in like forever. I hadn't done any role-playing games prior to this in a long time. And the the process of character creation in that game, and certainly true in, in most games where you're doing character creation, can be a lot of really heavy self-reflection that's going on because you're really looking at you know, you said you could be on either side of the coin, like you could be trying to work away from your character or trying to work towards your character. And what I was recognizing is as I'm making these decisions, 
was how that impacted me as a person. Like, why am I choosing this particular thing? Why am I choosing that particular thing? And it seemed like a very deliberate sort of way that I was addressing creating character. And I, I think creation of the character with intention is a pretty powerful idea. Um, can you talk more about times that you've you've done? I mean, obviously you've done this for a while now to the point that you, you have a practice that you do to bring people into Dungeons and Dragons as, as a spiritual path. Can you talk about some of that intentional character creation? Well, over the last several years, I've very intentionally played several, a few different tracks, I guess, in my characters. I played it, you know, as a clergy person, the question of serving is often on my mind. So I played characters who serve blindly and I've developed characters who serve and like doubt everything. Mm. I've also given a lot of play to my sense of having a gender in the world and what it means to be a male. And so I played a lot of characters who were gender fluid, non-binary, uh, characters who you couldn't tell their gender, or characters whose gender appears to change or does change over time to really get a sense of what does it mean for me to be in the world. And I had a great experience on uh, the last Gen Con. I played Tales from the Loop. Hmm. And I played uh, the weirdo, twelve-year-old kid, and you know, each, in Tales from the Loop, each character has an iconic item, and I decided that my iconic item was for this twelve-year-old boy was a corset that he wore all the time, and, and used he, him, his as his pronouns, and just playing that, and I ended up in a the weirdo kid ended up in a relationship dating the popular girl, you know, <laughs> so you know, it was a really fun exploration of what my sense of my gender. Mm-hmm. Um, and other ones, I've played a series of characters over the last several years who do a lot of drugs. I okay. tend to have a more controlled um, presentation and it was really, it's been really fun to play characters who let go of control. So that would sound like that would create some opportunity to I don't know, see yourself through a different lens. Oh, yeah. How has that, has, has that changed your life? Has that changed your outlook on things? Well, with the gender question, that, that Tales from the Loop character really helped me think, okay, I'm really comfortable as a man right now, and I define my gender as male without limits. The idea that I can be a man and be comfortable with expressions across a wide spectrum of behavior. And that really helped solidify for me a sense of a process I've been going through for years. I mean, I'm sure it will change, but that was really a strong and powerful um, happening for me. Yeah, I love exploring that in, in different video games. Um, and there's even some research out there about you know how creating an, a particular avatar, a female avatar, for example, or, or different types of avatars, how other people react in um, multiplayer games. And I, I follow a, a podcaster who has this rule where it, whenever you can play as a female, he plays as a female. Mm-hmm. And I've done this um, also in multiplayer games for the sake of diversity. Like, oh, if there's a world where there are many different characters, maybe I can add another uh, female to the pool just so, so visibly we have more representation of females. What I didn't expect was how people would react to those characters that I had created. And you don't get 
it's it's not the same <laughs> as going out into the world and living as female, but it's the best practice that I've had, um, and and it's the closest I've been able to get to to having some of those experiences, and games allow us to explore that, and and in a in a pretty safe environment. Depends on who you're playing with, I yes. guess. Yes. <laughs> yeah. But when it's yeah. safe, the exploration possibilities are near limitless. Yeah. Yeah. So if you're, if you're making these things with intention, is there a value? I, I know I've, I've played with a lot of people who are completely opposed to allowing uh, evil characters or to playing evil characters at, at, at all, basically. Uh, is there a value to having that evil character archetype in D&D? Is there something that you can do that with that from a spiritual perspective as well? I believe so. I haven't had the experience yet. I remember talking to my friend, um, Alan Turner. He did the game Adrigor, and he teaches game design at DePaul in Chicago. Mm -hmm. And we were talking about some of these exact things, and the idea of murder hobos came up. <laughs> and he said, when someone's playing a murder hobo, even, even that, they're doing it for some reason. There's a yeah. reason why they want to play murder hobos and why they want to take that kind of power and that sort of agency in the game. I generally have a rule of no evil characters, especially when I'm playing with kids. I have a 13-year-old and mm -hmm. I play with uh, my 13-year-old and friends and I've had a no evil characters kind of rule in the campaign. So they all play chaotic neutral, of course. <laughs> <laughs> but as far as, far as can I can take it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I talked to one of the other parents whose um, spouse is also a clergy person about the idea of what if we ran a game and let the kids have evil characters and consequences, the natural consequences that followed from that. You know, what is it, and to discover, what is it about playing evil that's attracted to them? You know, why do the kids like the Sith more than the Jedi a lot of the times? Mm -hmm. I saw a Facebook post the other day from a therapist who was saying that she she had a client um, very young who enjoyed or who related to villains and the way she worded it was um, any advice on how to turn that around <laughs> and I'm glad to say there were like 250 people mm -hmm. the last time I checked who commented on that post and basically all said like embrace it you got to find out what's going on like there's no there's no it's, it's nothing bad about um, relating to a villainous character you got to explore that with them ask them why let's right. see let's see what's going on and it was um, it was it was great to see that you know that there was there was so many people who saw it as an opportunity um, to or, or was trying to tell her that it was an opportunity so that she could see it differently. She even I remember a comment she said, "Oh, but um oh, but but the bad guys kill people." And I was like, "Actually, in this in stories, heroes kill people all the time." I don't even yeah. go into a list because I could I, I didn't bother. <laughs> it shouldn't take long to think about like, have I ever thought of Oh mm -hmm. yeah, like all my favorite heroes are killing people all the time, mo mostly. Even if it's the bad guys, right? I mean, there there's definitely um, something going on there. We didn't get a chance to play it out, but I started doing it because of COVID. I was running a group at um, the Broadway Youth Center. It's an LGBTQ and our homeless youth center, which I worked at as part of my work for 13 years. And I was doing a group, Spiritual Discovery, Dungeons and Dragons. And one of the players made a fighter 
and decide he wanted a deity. Uh, and I hadn't, I didn't have a lot of deities available in my world. He decided to follow the Raven Queen, which you know, an established D and D um, deity character, I, I don't, who I know almost nothing about. But his goal was to get powerful enough to kill the deity, because he blamed the Raven Queen for the death of his parents. So it's not exactly evil, but there was this whole idea that uh, there's so much to unpack in there. I wish I had had the opportunity, but yeah, um, that's uh, a casualty of our of the virus. Yeah, yeah. Did did the character was it was that was the the dead parents part of the character's backstory, or was that part of the 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 youth's real backstory? The fact I that the parents were that, no longer alive. I didn't even get that chance. I huh. know this. Uh, okay. All I know is that you know this person was not living with their parents. Gotcha. And gotcha. So there was definitely some issues around parental relationships. All the young people I worked, I worked for thirteen years on the streets with an agency called the Night Ministry that partnered with Howard Brown with LGBTQ and our homeless youth. And you know, all, a lot of these young people had problematic, uh, terrible relationships with their parents. Yeah. 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 Yeah, there were so many times when I got those um, a, a version of that through. Like to me, for for me, um, role playing games are very, or or you know, like tabletop role playing games are still very new. There's something that's not a part of my my gaming. Um, but since I've been exploring, you know, these ideas for for so many years, there's so many times when stories like that come up. Where it's like, oh, I want to be this character. And they like they're 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 putting themselves in the shoes of characters that have very similar stories, um, or you know they can, they they adjust the facts to fit something you know and yeah I mean I can imagine like that what you just said is probably going to stay in my mind for a while now I'm wondering like oh man there was there's a there was a there was a lot to unpack there and that's there's the possibility that they just thought it was a cool story but there's also the possibility that they were ready and willing to explore these ideas with other people and that's that's amazing i'm, I'm sorry you didn't get the chance to yeah to continue yeah. working that. I mean, yeah. they knew it was a spiritual exploration game when yeah. they went in even though if they even though we didn't talk about it a lot I, every time i talked about it to you know recruit players they that's what i talked about yeah it was you may reminded me of another player in the same game who was a young black man who looks like what people want to say is thug right he was very street looking and he was making this character, and he was like, I want to play a healer. And mm. the, the young man making the fighter was like, no, you can, you can be this powerful guy. And he goes, no, I want to be a healer. Yeah. yeah. He, he was able to really take this chance to say, this is what I want to be. And he was really insistent on it. It was beautiful. Huh. I'm curious about what kind of resistance you ever find in this. I was thinking that. Yeah, yeah. Because even just the idea of like, tell me why you created that character. Like, it feels like... I'm so vulnerable in that moment and maybe I don't want to talk about it. I mean, how often do you like, like you just said like, Oh, they knew it was a spiritual game coming in, but I'm, I'm assuming that's not every time people aren't coming in or even understanding what that even might mean. I mean, my, my experience is a lot of people are excited about the idea of using role-playing games for spiritual growth, healing, exploration. Yeah. yeah. I think some people don't want to, they just want to play. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. probably the biggest resistance I get. Just I just want to play. So I don't, I don't know if I have a great answer for that question. 
Yeah, no, that's if, if you think of anything later, let, let me know because yeah. because it's something that that I I've thought of multiple times already in this in the twenty minutes we've been we've been talking. <laughs> I was like, man, like there's got to be, and I get, I mean, like personally, right? Even thinking about that, not, not maybe I'm just projecting, right? But it's like, man, like just I can imagine some situations when I make a decision and if I was questioned on it, I don't know if I'd feel comfortable opening up at the moment, or I don't know if I'd feel because mm-hmm. I think a lot of and I've seen it happen, right? A lot of the there's a lot of information that comes through unconsciously. It's like mm-hmm, through the right. development of the game. It's like, oh, I made a choice and I really didn't think about why I made that choice, right? And then that comes from the debriefing and the reflection afterwards. Like, oh, yeah, no, I totally did that because I felt a certain way or because I wanted to do that because I never get a chance to do that. Um, but I can also see so much resistance and, and um, internal debate and things that might, might come up most of the time, if I'm playing with a group, I'm not going to ask those questions too much yeah. in the group. It's all about the time, yeah. you know, after or before the game so that I would, I would talk to somebody. I mean, because it kind of gets to the point that it has to be a game first. Yeah. It has to be fun. Yeah. It can't be an exercise. Oh, say it again. Yes, please. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You're, preaching. You're yeah. preaching our language. <laughs> There's a lot of, you know, we've all seen the therapy games. Tell me, you draw a card and tell me your feelings, <laughs> right? Which, which, which don't get there. And this is where I'll get, a, I'm going to get a little biblical on, on us here, okay? Okay. There's a story in the Bible about King David. He sees Bathsheba bathing on her roof from his residence and he wants her. So he has her husband Uriah sent to the front lines of the battle with instructions to leave him, walk away from him, let him be overwhelmed and killed by the enemies, which happens. And then he takes Bathsheba into his house, and after a mourning period, they marry. It falls upon Nathan the prophet to come and tell David he's a schmuck. But he <laughs> he can't go in and say, "You did this terrible thing. You're a bad guy," because he might lose his head. So he approaches David and says, "Your Highness, may I tell you a story?" And he tells them the story about a rich man and a poor man. And the poor man, rich man had lots of goats, flocks and flocks, you know, because your wealth is often measured in your flocks. And then there was a poor man who had one goat and he loved that goat like a child. And he would make, you know, milk the goat and make cheese and sell some of it. And the goat, you know, was like his, his daughter. He got called away and he asked the rich man to watch his goat and the rich man agrees. And then the rich man has a visitor, a traveler, and the tradition was to feed the traveler. And he, he has this, the, the poor man's goat killed for the meal. Mm. David hears this and he's incensed. He's like, that man should be punished. <laughs> and Nathan, I always imagine, right? You guys, you guys know what's coming. Nathan, trying not to smile, says, Atahaish, you are the man. Mm-hmm. And David uh. understood. Right, he couldn't change. He couldn't fix it. Uriah's dead, but it's because Nathan told a story that David's ego and defenses didn't go up. There was this fictional distance that allowed David to see the truth. Yeah, and that's what games allow us to do. We're creating a fiction together. Yeah, and our normal defenses aren't there. It's just my character. Right. Yeah, alibi, as we as they say in academic pursuits of game design. You know, it's it's not me. Right, so I don't have to take responsibility for the choices that I make in the game because that's not me. But, you know, you're talking about intentionality and creating a character. And I would say, you know, from a, a more humanistic psychology perspective, the choices you make, whether they're conscious or not, they're still intentional from some viewpoint. 
from maybe a spiritual deeper viewpoint, from a self-growth viewpoint. I'm not so airy-fairy that I believe that everything leads us to wholeness because unfortunately that's not the way things work. But there, there are signposts on the road as we play games, as we do the various things that we do in our life that, that point to deeper truths that we're not always catching unless we take some time to reflect on them. And that's, that's why the debriefing and discussing afterwards is so vital. So how do you do that debrief? Because, you know, I'm speaking from a, a, a therapy perspective. We have to be very careful in the way we ask questions so that those questions are not guiding questions. They're not questions that are limited to a certain set of circumstances. How do you, are, are there special questions that you craft for people when, they're, when you're playing? Are they specific to the game or are they more open-ended so that every game you can use this set of questions? I mean, I think it's generally open-ended. You know, the, the vocabulary is a little different. You know, how do you feel about your character? You know, is specific to gaming, but it's in general, how do you feel? Care question. Yeah. And again, it's mostly one-on-one where these kind of discussions happen. With the spiritual D and D, you know, there's group sessions and there's one-on-one sessions in between. I'm doing a lot of work of Dream Chaser right now by Pete Petrusha of Imagining Games. And that yeah. that work I'm designing for one-on-one play. Okay. Um, if, for those not familiar with Dream Chaser, in, when you start the game, you have a group. They each get note cards, and they write a dream or a goal on a note card, such as um, overthrow the empire, befriend a dragon, live in the woods. Then the group picks a, one of the dreams, let's say befriend a dragon, and that becomes the center central goal of the session or the, or the small short campaign. And then each player decides their role, kind of like their class. I want to be a hunter tracker. I want to be a linguist. I want to be an astronaut. So now as a game master, you know there's a dragon and an astronaut in the game. <laughs> I, I love it because there's a lot of improv and you don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. And then they each choose milestones. I want to build a, I want to make a magic sword. I want to find my long lost sister. I want to learn a new language. And no one gets to veto those and you put them around the central dream on the dream map, and that becomes the map for the adventure. And as soon as I saw this on Kickstarter years ago already, I said, you could use this game to put, to make it, you can make it personal and use this game for personal and spiritual discovery. So I, for, I got to know Pete and I started running the game at cons and a couple of years ago already, he brought me on to be lead on a second book for the game on how um, spiritual directors and therapists can use the game in session with clients one-on-one for this personal growth. And I've been play testing, I've been working on it for a while. I, I, I received my graduate certificate in spiritual direction from Loyola University in 2019. And I was blessed that I had a professor who was, he was a little genius, Jean-Pierre Fortin, a couple of doctorates, you know, master's degrees, but also very spiritual and grew up reading Tolkien and playing D&D. So we were able to do some really wonderful research together and he, st- he still advises me now. And I did an internship working with young people um, playing these games. But back to the Dream Chaser, I was, I've been w- developing the theory and doing the research and you know, going to Save Against Fear, you know, and hanging out with the geek therapy crowd and, because that work is so adjacent to what I'm doing. And I've had opportunity recently to go through a couple six 
to 12 uh, session campaigns of some players using this one-on-one. -on -one. And it's just amazing that players are saying things like, I'm using the character as a stand-in for myself. Yeah. And I'm, I'm learning things by the things my character does. I'm learning how to be, oh, I was just actually highlighted a couple of things when I was reading through it earlier, to my notes earlier. Um, you know, the player said the character is helping me make these decisions and um, I'm using my character as a vehicle to ask myself, what do I want from my life? Mm. And just beautiful things happen. It's, I almost lost the track of what, what question I was answering. <laughs> the idea that the game is working like I want it to. Um, yeah. the, the, the character is teaching me through her confidence. She's more comfortable in the world than I am. The character is a manifestation of who I want to be in the world. Uh, we did have Peter Petrusha on the show about uh, his early, early days for Rolling for Change. I mean, we're we're up close to maybe 56 or so now, uh, but uh, maybe number 10 possibly was when we met with Peter. And I knew when we started investigating Dream Chaser that that was going to be something incredible. And I could see the potential for it being a self-growth tool. You know, we're, you're using spiritual discovery, I'm using self-growth, and I almost think that they are synonymous with one another, although Pretty you, much, may, yeah. you may differ in that depending on maybe the background that you come from, spiritually speaking. But I, I could see that, and that was maybe that was the moment also that I realized that games, especially role-playing games, really can help us get to a space of investigating the self in a way that we can't investigate it in any other kind of play that we do. Because um, you have a set of external rules that, that kind of hold you in place, and then at the same time, you're going off and exploring these different avenues of personality. And if you're role-playing really well, you're becoming different people. You're becoming different phases of yourself or different kinds of archetypes of yourself. Um, so I'm, I'm so excited to see what's coming out of your work with Peter. Uh, wh when can we expect that? That's a really good question. One of the things I've considered a lot is what is my burden of proof? Hmm. Right. I, I, I know these things work, but what, what is the, what level of responsibility do I have to say, to prove that it works before we put out a, a product? Yeah. So I am taking on more um, clients, more directees now to play more, to use the game more. And I'm, I'm also starting to branch out to build a community of collaboration, find other spiritual directors and spiritual practitioners to, play the game with people so we can have a, a good body. I don't know if we're going to go all the way to a qualitative or quantitative study, but at least to get a body of experience using the game for these purposes. Yeah, so basically a, case, a set of case studies that all kind of prove the point. That's, that's a hope. Yeah. Or don't prove the point. I mean, if you're a good scientist about it. Right. Well, <laughs> There's always out. the possibility of things going wrong. I, I, during my internship, I learned a lot of the things I, that didn't work when I was using Dungeons and Dragons and Dream Chaser for spiritual work. I was like, well, don't, I wanted to go to a cafe because the, the young people I was working with lived in the shelters and spent a lot of time at social work offices and I wanted to get out of institutional spaces. Yeah. But going to the cafe was like you mentioned earlier about being at Gen Con, not a great space to sit quietly and contemplate the game. No, no. <laughs> so I, yeah. learned, I learned a lot about what not to do, which was, which was really valuable. Yeah. I mean, with geek therapy, we've, we've struggled with that also too. It's like, well, how, you know, 
I believe it works. <laughs> how do I, how do I, how do I convince, um, other, other people about this? And, um, yeah, it's fun. Uh, uh, Woody asked when, when can we learn more about that? After well, we just finished recording, I'm going to ask when we, like when you can share more, like <laughs> stuff that can't go to the public when, when we can get the inside scoop on some of this stuff. Oh, I because, love this. I love discussing. <laughs> yeah. Cause I'm, I'm super, I'm super excited about this on the, um, it may, I'm, it's it's obvious to to those of us in the room, but for any listeners who don't see um, like the the connection between this between spiritual work and mental health work and and all the overlap and and the the things that can happen um, in those sessions, it's there's it's it's beautiful, right? Like we're, we're all in this to, to to help each other grow. We're growing ourselves and. Um, I, I love that we're having this conversation at, at my job now. Now I work at the University of Chicago, and a couple of weeks ago, I I conveyed a meeting of um, to deal to to discuss the the my, my work is primarily in diversity and inclusion right now at the university. So we wanted to address uh, the grief um, support that the university can provide regarding COVID nineteen, and so. I took the lead on that and I conveyed a meeting of all the mental health professional leaders uh, on campus, but also the spiritual leaders. So we have a chapel and I, I asked the dean from there to come in and I wanted all of those people to work together to address this issue because like we, we, we can all do that and we all learn from each other. And it was, it was a, it was a beautiful meeting and we were all um, addressing some, some uh, things the same and some things in our own unique way, but we were all trying to, to help the community in one way or another and you know us coming together like this um i don't know i think i think woody was probably on, on conspiracy of light <laughs> where i talked about um going on um, you know buddhist retreats and being there and being like oh yeah no like everything i learned all of the best parts of my mental health uh training clinical training definitely came from these eastern traditions and I remember thinking, wow, like, I think a lot of my clients would be better served by coming to this 10 day retreat that I just did than seeing me for three months, you know, because there's, yeah. there's something about the work and, and I don't know. So I think always looking for different ways to do it, um, and, and ways that, that work. Um, like I, I again, I can relate to that idea that you're doing the research and, and how do we publish it? How do we put this out there? And, but there's also so much of a personal aspect to it. I love that you've, that you talked about like, well, here's what not to do, because I find myself doing that a lot too. People ask me a question and I'm like, I know the question that you're asking me. And now 10 years in, I can tell you, I think it's more helpful for me to tell you what not to do mm -hmm. and then kind of trust the process <laughs> because there's, there's, there will be things going on there that you, you don't want to, your first instinct might be to um, move away from it or change the topic or move it a particular direction because of your training but i'm telling you don't do that do you know don't do that <laughs> and then see what happens so i'm, I'm glad you mentioned that yeah. and a lot of the work that therapists and social workers and spiritual directors and chaplains are doing have similar questions i'm i'm in the middle of reading an article by doris rush she used to teach at DePaul game design now she teaches at gotland in sweden and she wrote an article on existential transformational game design Oh my God! You have Beautiful. to you have to send that link to me uh, as soon as we get done here. It's in the I Thrive latest journal. Okay. Um, the Kelly Dunlap edits, and I forget the other editor's name. And I can send it to you. 
Um, <laughs> Thank you. Just the ideas of what existential psychology was working on about meaning and purpose are the same questions mm -hmm. I think about spiritually. I think we just use different words and there's also people are wired differently. Some people want a therapist or a social worker and could yeah. work, thrive better with them. Other people can thrive better to think about it through meditation, prayer and spiritual questions, mm -hmm. but the work isn't that different. Yeah. I, th I think it's all about your conception of self in the first place. Like what does it mean to be a self and what does it mean to have help in being the best version mm -hmm. of yourself? And you know, when it comes down to cognitive disciplines, we're really just saying here, here's the tools. Go work on yourself. See if you can do this. Um, I take a much different point of view, which is that we're you know we're all deeply connected to something much more, much stronger, much larger than ourselves, and uh, it's getting down to that core of the self where the self and the transpersonal is connecting that makes the biggest difference. And what I'm learning as I'm thinking about all the things that I've gone through in, in my entire career as studying therapy, studying psychology, is that these are all just different methods of connecting to the ground of being. You know, we haven't really made a statement about any particular religious practice here. We're talking about spirituality in the sense of finding finding the larger self, finding the bigger the bigger I. Um, and I've seen that not only through the things that I originally studied, which was psychedelics, meditation, all these different versions of transpersonal psychology, I'm finding that it, the same thing happens in a role-playing game where the suspension of self is taking place and you're, you're experiencing self from a, a myriad of different perspectives. You know, if I'm doing holotropic breathwork, I'm suddenly seeing that, you know, I'm having a, a very different experience of the world than I'm having when I'm you know, just walking around in a normal state of mind. And although it's a slow process, I think, uh, role-playing can do that as well. It's just suspension of self. Yeah. I mean, I think of it, like, you talked about experiencing. It, it's about exploration. I think a lot of the, we don't know what we're looking for. We don't know how to define the problem. Yeah. Uh, in mental health, I, I don't like to talk about disorders. I, I like to talk about symptoms. Right, because um, disorders are labels, but symptoms are too. But the symptoms are are much more relatable, and those are focused on experiences, and they're they're much easier to capture and talk about than than disorders. I, I think just starting with disorder doesn't isn't helpful. And yeah, we don't we don't know what's wrong, right? Most of the time, we don't know what's missing. We don't we don't even know how to describe the feeling that we're feeling, and this work, especially, I mean, in, in my experience, what would be considered more spiritual is is easier to navigate. Um, and I don't know. I talk about how, for me, I, when I play games, I don't just play games. Like I'm, I experience games. I breathe mm -hmm. games. It is, I am in there. Like I, I can play a video game, and I am terrified of these things that can't mm -hmm. actually hurt me. Yes, I cry, and I'm, and I'm excited about these people that I that that supposedly don't exist, right? Because I am in it. I am, I cry in movies, right? Like to me, <laughs> I, I, I allow myself to go with the experience and, and, and learn from it. And I think helping people get to that point and being open to doing that is, is core to, to what we're talking about.
it kind of reminds me of a, a sign I've been thinking about and talking about lately about, well, in gender studies and the queer world, we say things like gender is performative, <laughs> right? Yeah. So, but really all identity is performative. It's all how we create and process and make stories about ourselves and stories we hear about other people. It's, it's all a presentation, right? So our, our brains, our souls, our, ourselves are completely used to making fictions and processing fiction. Right, so going into a game and being terrified of the monster that you know can't hurt you, though the, the, we already know, we know how to be there and do that experience, and we can even know that it's fiction. Yeah. And it's, again, back to that fictional difference that really allows us to get some of that safe space to process and ask these questions. I, I it would be it'd also be remiss if I didn't mention that safety mechanics help a lot in this in these processes. Yeah, 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 absolutely. So what does safety mechanics look like in a spiritual discovery game? I don't think they look really any different than okay. in, in other games. You know, we, you can use the X card, you can use lines and veils, yeah. you can use stop, rewind, and fast forward, um, script change. You know, we can use them all in the same ways to allow people to know that they can have a safer experience using these tools. You know, even discussing, you know, discussing ahead of time where we can and can't go and where, where people are comfortable. The same way for, a, it can be used at a convention game. Okay. What do you, who was it that wrote that safety checklist that we had on the show? That was Sean Reynolds and Shauna Germain. Right. Um, it's, it's interesting that that keeps coming up in the Geek Therapy Facebook group, for example. Yeah. Every couple of weeks, someone posts it, like they just discovered it again. They're like, oh, you've got, you guys have to see this thing. <laughs> And and every time people are like, whoa, I didn't know about this. That's amazing, and it's so helpful, and and it just it just makes sense. <laughs> yeah, it's called Consent in Gaming. It's free on Drive Through RPG, and it's it's a really great template to to put some boundaries around your play. Yeah, some of that's really important because some people are going into a game and they're not looking for, you know, they're lo not looking for certain experiences. They're trying to limit their experiences to something that is is they're able to digest basically. Yeah. And so I don't want racism in my game or I don't want gore in my game or I don't want to I don't want to talk about trauma in my game. And I think in the same way that a therapist or even a spiritual director has to sort of keep those boundaries in mind, a DM, a GM does too. Yeah. Yes, yeah, so I'm I'm glad I'm glad you mentioned it. We should mention it. Every day, twice a day. Yes. Every time we're talking about this. Amen. <laughs> read read uh, Consent in Gaming twice a day and, and call me at the end of the week. Oh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, Menachem, is this prescriptive where it's like you, as a spiritual director, you recognize somebody who's struggling with a particular challenge in their life and you're like, I think you would be really good for this particular style of process? Um. Sometimes, <laughs> I I think it's 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 more, but I don't necessarily get that opportunity, and I don't generally approach people and say I think you should do this. You know, it's like uh, yeah, it's like okay. it's like when you say, how do you say to your friend you should get therapy, right? <laughs> which which sometimes is an important thing to say to people, but I, yeah. I haven't done it as a player. It's mostly I just try and let people know what I'm doing. And just like they would choose to go to a therapist or a spiritual director, they would choose to come to me. I do more traditional spiritual direction, you know, sitting one-on-one -on -one mm -hmm. with someone and talking and meditating. But 
I also try and let people know that I do this thing with games. Yeah, I did a training this week uh, teaching therapists how to use um, particular video games. And even though that was the class, the point was to <laughs> embrace the idea of the game more than actually the playing of the game, like making it available. But that I, I tried to reiterate that even though that's a big part of what I do, it's not what happens all the time. That's not the entire process. It's a it's an awesome part of it, but it's it doesn't have to be there. And I, I always tell people don't, um, or other therapists, I tell them don't, just because you like, um, you know, games, don't force people to to play the game. It just it just doesn't it doesn't usually work. You have to find what works for that person. Yeah, yeah. Like if they're interested in that, embrace it, jump on it, tell them, hey, I can play games. Want to play a game? Want to yeah. play a game right now? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like, okay, like just I do this thing. If, if you think about it, if you know, if 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 you're bored with this way, you know, want to try something different, let me know. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think I think it goes to we could have a whole other episode on just resistance and and uh, that's always a, an interesting topic. But yeah, I mean, it's hard to be prescriptive. Although I do like this idea um, using role playing games where there's so much flexibility again someone who's new to role-playing uh, but is now um in love with the idea and what and what people in our community are doing with them i do love this idea that it can it can be so many different things so that if someone signs up and doesn't really know what they're signing up for you can adjust so many aspects on the fly because you know if, if you're the dm and then i mean there are also things yeah. that are completely out of your control in a way, right? But there's still so much that you can that you can um, manage. That I I like the idea of. I don't know. I feel more comfortable like throwing someone into a a role playing experience than even like a video game with very clear sets of rules and and it's being more rigid where you can't adjust to the person as they're going through. Does that does that does that sound right? Is that well, you disagree? No, what was making me think about is when I was doing the spiritual discovery of D&D &D with the, uh, the LGBTQ and our homeless youth, I was dropping mechanics left and right mm -hmm. and, and ignoring rules. Like, they, you know, the game has said it's all advice. But I did find that there's maybe too many mechanics to really be effective. Yeah. So I, I, was, I was taking them out as I went. And I find games like Dream Chaser, which have fewer mechanics, to be a little easier to be focusing on the person and the work instead of the rules of the game. Yeah. Yeah, I think games like D&D &D and Pathfinder, that, that can be a really strong learning curve in the first place. And then it can be really crunchy in the sense that there's a lot of different things to keep up with. So I, I think for simplicity's sake, sometimes you do need to jettison some of those rules. As long as you can, I mean, Doug Lewandowski said it best, you know, if you're having a good time, uh, these things don't matter. Yeah. yeah. I've been playing D&D &D since 1979, I think. And it's the, it is the most popular role-playing game in the world. So when I want people to think about the idea to speak about Dungeons and & Dragons and offer D&D, &D, gives people an entryway into the idea of using games. If, yeah. I'm, if I say, let's play using this game called Dream Chaser, it might, doesn't really mean anything to them yet. Yeah. So it's, it's useful in that regard that, that people know it and are interested in it, usually at some level. Yeah. 
yeah the, the rule of cool which I, i've learned about mm-hmm. is uh <laughs> I'm, I'm a big fan of that again I'm, I'm technically in my first real campaign that i've been playing for for um for a prolonged period of time and i love my dm you know i didn't i didn't know the rules coming in I did something that violated the official rules and <laughs> and the GM was like, Hey, uh, I love it. I'll allow it. Let's keep going. <laughs> and now it's a big part of the story. And I'm sorry, and, was that the was that the weapon? Uh yeah, I'm a very, very tiny uh no rock gnome with very, very large uh battle axes. <laughs> and apparently that's uh it's not allowed. But I didn't know that and now uh it's part of the charm of my character. <laughs> I love when DMs allow for creativity. Yeah. Just yeah. convince me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's yeah. <laughs> great. So on the other end of the, the I, I guess I can't say couch, uh, <laughs> we're talking about spiritual direction, but on the other end of things where you are the one who is leading these experiences or you're setting these experiences in place for people, are you yourself, as you guide people, having your own, uh, your own self growth? Is is that is being a GM or being a DM part of a self growth path just as well as as the being the player? I certainly hope so. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, is, as a dungeon master or a game master, you're bringing yourself into the game and into the the world you're building. I almost do exclusively homebrew and never play prepared modules in, in those four decades. And you're definitely bringing a flavor of yourself and what you want to experience into the game. Yeah. You, know, and you get to explore what it, you, you, you're controlling everybody, right? You're every character, every, except for the players, you're everything yeah. and everybody in the world. So the opportunity and I'm kind of just thinking about this even as we speak, the opportunity to play all sorts of personalities mm-hmm. and make them distinct and have fun with that is a way to explore for yourself. I, I think I have, I've had hard times playing evil characters myself, but as a dungeon master, I have to, right? I have to play the bad guy. I have to play yeah. someone who wants to hurt someone or rob someone. So it gives me a chance to explore. Um, yeah, that's incredible. I, I, um, I've been working uh, with some folks. Uh, we've been playing kids on bikes for the past nine weeks now. Nine weeks. Yeah, nine weeks. Uh, and um, I've had so many situations where I have to be player characters or not non-player characters. And I've had situations where those non-player characters have to speak to each other. So I'm, I'm literally a one-man <laughs> show at that moment. Yeah. And... Uh, as this thing is happening, and I don't know how deep I want to get into this discussion, but as this thing is happening, I'm recognizing that these pieces of myself, I'll say pieces of myself now because I'm, I'm operating from some kind of enlightened perspective, but these characters are channeling through me, and I don't necessarily have control over them. I just kind of let them go free as they are. And that, you know, I asked the question about you know whether or not it's affecting the GM simply because I already believe it is because <laughs> I'm I'm taking on that role now and I'm seeing it happen, and it it's rather fantastic to see that these pieces of myself that have been hidden to me are bringing themselves up and they're showing up in this game and um, as scary and as stressful as sometimes the game can be, it's it's very eye-opening in terms of how I deal with various parts of myself. 
awesome. Yeah. I was thinking recently about what I love in playing. I'm playing more games than I have in a long time during, you know, it's kind of a silver lining of this shelter in place. Yeah. And I, I say I usually play for character development and for role play, but I also love playing for a sense of awe and wonder. Yes. And as a game master, I get to do that. I get to build these worlds of floating cities, you know, and, and magic and get to dream where does magic come from and how does it work? And we get to play that out. Yeah. And if I, if I know the game you're talking about, you have some of my favorite players, uh, Tim, <laughs> Tim and Brian. Yes. Some of my favorite people to play games with. And, and to talk about the, all these ideas that we're talking about. Yeah. 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 We're, ha we're having a, an incredible time with it. And I look forward to, uh, I th I, the plan is to release it as some sort of podcast, but, uh, that that's, that's later on down the line. I'm, yeah. I'm trying to figure it all out now. I will um, not let that idea die. <laughs> Somehow, some way. Yeah. I've already started editing Josue, so it, it's going to happen. It's just a matter of, now that I'm I know that you're talking you to yourself, uh, <laughs> we need to, we're fast tracking this. Everything else is on the back burner. Priority number one. <laughs> oh, I'm so excited. Yeah, no, I mean, oh, it's just, it's just, I love having conversations like this. And I'm, I'm so glad that we're, again, that we're using this for good. You know, we, we see the potential. We've seen how it helps us. We, we know, or we have an idea to, to, what, how, what we were talking about earlier, we have an idea of how we can help other people um, yeah. with this. And and now we're at that stage where we're trying to help other people help other people with this. <laughs> and how do you say that? And how do you explain that? And I, I hope we've, you know, we're, we're doing that justice with these conversations that we're having more and more frequently. And, yeah. and more people are interested. And right now, you know, tabletop role-playing is the most popular it has ever been, I think, right? I can, somebody fact check me on that? Yes? yes. <laughs> I don't That's know. I've heard. Yeah. <laughs> I've heard that, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, just making sure. Like again, Anecdotally, I know that to be true. <laughs> I hear people say it. I just want to hear from the people, you know, in the room who have more experience <laughs> than I do. <laughs> uh, and, and it's exciting. It's so exciting. And I mean, I keep making that connections to other things, but um, on the Geek Therapy Network, we started an anime podcast. And you'll probably hear me say in every episode something similar to what you just said, Monacum, about the awe and the wonder. It's like, I, there are times when I find Western media just kind of boring. And anime takes things to an extreme in every single possible way. And I, and I love that. It, like, it blows my mind in, in every single sense of the word and in storytelling and in so many different ways. And, and I love that. I love that, that exploration of things that I, I, wouldn't consider um just, just crazy ideas i just i just love it and and i wish that um tabletop role playing games were a bigger part of my life earlier on i mean the whole like a big part of my origin story is that i you know i grew up feeling very uh, alone in in this sense like i never had people to talk to about the games that i liked and, and there were there, i didn't know other people who were like hey you know like we're, we're playing a D&D campaign. Do you want to join us? I, d I didn't have those experiences until I was in my 20s. And oh, so, so, so much lost time. <laughs> <laughs> like, I wish I would have gone to a therapist or, or, or you know, like a, a, a spiritual um, guide or a, or a pastor or anyone who would have been like, hey, like, 
let's try something different. Instead of just sitting there and reading the Bible to me, it would have been, um, or preaching at me, you know, there would have been something that included me and allowed mm. me to take part in the process and, and allowed for like, yeah, there's the, there's the, the safety aspect. There's the, I love that you mentioned the awe and wonder because that's, that's something that makes so many things more attractive. Like, oh yeah, like I want to work on myself, but is it going to be boring? <laughs> I'd rather not do it then. <laughs> I'd rather do something else. And, you know, I think we're on to something, guys, is what, I, is what I'm saying. I'm thinking that laying your mind, explore the impossible makes th other things feel more possible. Or yeah. 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 Yeah, that's, that's a great statement because I think that's what it does. You know, I... There, there's two different lives I have. Uh, there's my gaming life, which is a completely more fantastical, awe-inspiring existence, and I'm trying to bring that piece of myself into the the world as it is, which is right now, <laughs> it's just chaos out there. It feels like, um, and so it, it's almost like we're we're kindling, you know, a lot of this is a very spiritual sort of statement, right? We're kindling the light inside in order to bring it to the the world outside. Um, I, I think the games we play can do that, especially with role-playing games. Yeah, I, I often say there's no such thing as just in my imagination. Yeah. But we have to imagine things. You know, I, I have on my, my bulletin board a theme I used from the Jewish High Holiday several years ago. One sign says imagine, the second sign says act. Mm. If we want a better world, imagination we have to imagine the better world in order to work on getting there yeah if you can't see it you can't believe it um yeah that's a that's a quote that i've uh, i don't know yeah it's, it's pretty it's a paraphrase right but it's something that i that i believe in a lot and that's there's like two parts to that idea right it's one is the yeah like the actual act of, <laughs> of possibility it's like oh wait a minute I can be a therapist and play D and D. I didn't know that was possible, <laughs> right? Like now, now I know it's possible. Now I maybe I want to explore that. That completely opens my my mind to different things. The idea that um, there are like intergalactic wars happening beyond our star system is a different kind of imagination that exercises, I think, different muscles. But it's I think it makes us less rigid and more flexible because I mean, my, my belief system, I mean, I believe in many, many different things and I have uh, beliefs and I'm, and I'm very open to other possibilities. And I don't know if that's true that, you know, that's kind of like science fiction and fantasy has allowed me to open my mind to more, to different possibilities that aren't necessarily, you know, that it's all fictional. Um, and within them we explore things that are very real, but there's still this, this like, stretching of the limits that i think is a good exercise does that incredible yeah yeah it's quite possibly by doing things to stretch your imagination you were able to imagine being a therapist and who plays D, &D. yeah you know, you're able to <laughs> yeah. see beyond possible and when my kid was younger would ask about can people really fly and i would say well just because we haven't seen it happen doesn't mean it can't yeah right it's a really great statement. I have multiple theories about how that might be possible or may have been possible in the past. <laughs> we can talk about that later. But I mean, <laughs> you know, just the fact that I've spent hours exploring those yeah. ideas uh, <laughs> would have never happened if it weren't for, you know, the crazy cartoons I watched as a kid and 
wonderful stories that make you think about different things. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. You may you may see Rolling for Change in our, our history so far as being pseudoscience in the sense that we're just getting anecdotal evidence from everybody that we speak to. And we speak in a way that sort of directs your attention towards the transformational nature of games. You know, I'm not I'm not really quibbling about that. I'm not saying that we're necessarily talking about games making you a bad person or anything. And I'm, I'm typically saying that games cause growth. Games cause uh, a particular trajectory in your life. And, of course, there are ways to use them, I think, that wouldn't be that way. But I, I think to this idea of having to have proof, which I, I really appreciate people like Hawk Robinson who are working so hard to legitimize what it is we're doing. But those of us who don't have time to do that, the I think this is going to be a pseudo-spiritual sort of statement. I think the way that we believe about something brings it into the world as that, and as a result, we can create something whether it exists or not. But I, 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 I totally believe that this exists right now, that, that, that change happens when we play games. You know, I don't get hung up on this part of the of the conversation anymore. I used to. And people used yeah. to, you know, come at me, like, prove it. <laughs> it's like, mm, yeah. well, you know, guess what? Every single, uh, if we're talking about psychology, every single theory that is accepted as research evidence and research-based at some point was just somebody's theory. And it, yeah. it wasn't that way. And if we're talking about religion, you have one religion and then somebody disagrees and does an offshoot of that religion. And then you have multiple versions of every of every major religion in the world because nobody agrees 100% on everything. And I, f I feel really good about sharing the stories, sharing mm -hmm. the tips that we have and expressing like the, do not do this. These are things to keep in mind. Don't do it this way or you could do harm and repeat that as much as possible. Make it available as much as possible. Have these conversations and share them because over the years I've, I've tried to police this stuff and it's, it's, it's too hard. Like I can't, you can't, you can't police it. You can't convince people who don't want to be convinced. Um, and so I don't, I don't get too hung up on that stuff anymore, but I also don't, um, try to stop anybody like Hawk, right. Who has just right. research and research and research and Monaco, what you guys are doing now with, with, um, dream chaser, you know, it's like, I get it right. There's, a, there's a part of us that wants to, um, What's the what's the word like? Legitimize. So, legitimize. Yeah, yeah. I don't like the word, but yeah. But <laughs> but doing that, you know, having that process, I I get it. I mean, I've I've had these conversations over the years, and I don't I don't worry about them too much anymore because so much of it is out of our control. Right. It's like yeah. somebody's gonna listen to this podcast and just go do whatever they want to do and never read your your Dream Chaser manual, never listen to another episode of Rolling for Change. It's just gonna start doing. Uh, D and D therapy, however they they feel like it, and there's nothing we can do about it. But hopefully, we've brought up enough ideas. Like, oh yeah, safety matters for someone to say, yeah. hey, hmm, hmm, I wonder, I wonder, I hadn't thought about that. Maybe I should explore that, or maybe I should learn a little bit more about that. And also, we don't. This is again, cut this out if this is like I'm going too far on tangents. But I no. think that this is so important. Uh, that some people will read forever and listen to every single thing we say and never actually go do it. So mm -hmm. there's a part of me that wants people to go out and try it and, and actually see for themselves and experience it 
on both ends, right? Like join a group that is for spiritual discovery. So you see what kind of thing can happen um, or join a, a therapy uh, group uh, that is, that is doing this or work with other therapists. Like um, the, the, the game that you're playing right now, Woody, it's, it's, you're all mental health professionals. There's something, there's something great. And I've seen those things happen. Like in the geek therapy discord, we have people coming together and most people there are mental health professionals and they're they're exploring these ideas and really only by doing that do we really know what's going on so it's like i I don't know how to draw out the pathways so like here's how you learn it and at this point go practice a little bit right just go do the thing and then and then here come back and like who am i to say to not practice it with a client who could benefit from it right now it's it's a hard like it's those are very specific conversations and and i think you only learn from the doing and so it's hard it's hard out there but i think i think we're we just need to talk about it more and 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 i'm i'm glad we're we're having this conversation um yeah different schools in you know therapy um started a lot of them probably started with one person saying i'm going to try this thing yep yeah and it worked you know so i'm i'm confident enough that in in my experience with using Dream Chaser and D and D to go out and do it with people, yeah. and I'm you know seeking more people to do it to play with, and but I also have some checks and balances in place for myself, right? I have advisors, I have supervision, so I'm not you know I'm not doing it in a vacuum, even if I'm not doing it in a you know academically sponsored research study. Yeah. I do have people who I consult with and are you know, helping me not make mistakes. Of course, yeah. we're going to make mistakes. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know the full answer to what's my burden of proof, but I'm, I enjoy and I feel the responsibility to at least ask the question. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 I don't know why I've been thinking about this so much, but like if I just come out and, and disagree with you, I could just like, I'm just going to start my own dream chaser book. <laughs> and then, right. <laughs> dream follower, dream pursuer. <laughs> right. Yeah, and then Pete, I'm just going to. Pete didn't hire you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That, that didn't come out as funny as I'd hoped. <laughs> <laughs> so, Menachem, you're using Dungeons & Dragons. You're using Dream Chaser. Is there anything else that you're using, or are you very, very specifically focusing on these two systems right now? Those are the ones I'm using, but really, I even say, when I talk about the work, I say even Dungeons & Dragons can work for this work. <laughs> the idea is that it's not, and as I'm reading Doris's article about game design, my constant thought is, but it's also about the use of games that exist, yeah. right? And you can take any existing role-playing game and do it. Now, some of them, mechanics matter, right? In the Doctor Who role-playing game, when you get to action, you know, attacking is the last choice in the action sequence. Right, there's talkers, movers, yeah. doers. I, I haven't looked at it for a while. But in, in, a, in an old school D&D, when you get experience points for killing monsters and getting treasure, that's, that encourages that sort of behavior because you want to advance. So when you have mechanics that advance you for great role-playing or you know, storytelling, that encourages you. So, so one, any game, we can do it with any game. Two, some mechanics work better for this than others. Yeah. In the world of educational games, um, which is something that I've explored a lot, there, the research doesn't support the idea of designing 
a game specifically for um well no 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 it doesn't it doesn't uh support the idea of like adapting a game or like modifying an existing game to meet a particular um uh goal uh i'm trying to think of an example i remember um like a game that is maybe in another language and kind of like you modify it to to help you learn a language or something like that right like learn the language um i'm getting i'm getting my my thoughts mixed up here but basically in in it surprised me in the in the ed tech world that there was that like they they couldn't figure it out it's like no no we need to make new games that kind of address this um, we can't really adapt a current game for that. And I've always had trouble with that because I think people are talking about different things when it comes to, um, it's like when we talk about the the therapy games, right, which are just horrible. But that's because, like, they're not fun games. They're not really games. Right. And the, then, the fun doesn't come first. The therapy comes first. Yeah. And then some games are actually just training modules or simulations and that's also like a simulation is like a way to practice something but it's not a game um and one of the trainings i did this week someone was asking about particular characters in a game and i took the opportunity to tell them like your client is asking about that character don't i'm, I'm not going to answer the i'm not going to tell you the story of that character right now because i want you to be open to the idea of the stories that come from emergent gameplay and like, don't worry about what that character's backstory is necessarily, because if they're bringing it up, try to find out the the experience that they're having with that character. Are they did they like set a trap for that character, and then they were they felt really good about um, their accomplishment, or was the did that NPC um, ruin something that they had built? Um, and therefore, like they have a now they have this new relationship with the character <laughs> that is uh, adversarial before, or they what does it what does it mean to them? And that's where the the key is, right? It's like taking these existing games, and and it's not just the game, but it's the experience that we're having with the game, and then doing something with that experience that allows us to to do the work that we're talking about, and. I, I love exploring. I I don't know. I always start with existing games. Like, what game do you like? Why do you like it? Mm -hmm. Boom. Let's start there because that matters more than, yeah. I mean, the, the game design part is really hard. I remember at Games for Change a few years ago, there was, the theme was, please, game designers, don't make educational or therapeutic games <laughs> on your own. Therapists, educators, please don't make games on your own. <laughs> you don't know how to make a game fun. Uh, you don't know how to make a game therapeutic. Work together so that you can do this because otherwise it's not going to work. It rarely does. Stop it. <laughs> Build teams. Talk to each other. <laughs> it's a good lesson. And I think always start with the fun because, you know, I was, I was a little bit... Um, pushing against this idea early on that fun was important. Fun is important. Uh, if, if you don't have fun, if you don't engage with the world in a way that feels like play, because we've spent all our lives moving away from play as if it was some kind of really bad thing. And if you look at the quote-unquote adults of the world that look down on things that are, are 
what they see as trivial pursuits. You, you see that what's missing from their life is play. And the rest of us have tried our best to hold on to it, to, to use it, to, to recognize that it's so important in our lives. If you don't start with play, which I'm using f- play and fun now synonymously, if you don't start with play, then you really can't get anywhere because you don't have the engagement that you need. Just giving you a set of information doesn't always lead to change. I was, I was watching a video yesterday um, on YouTube. It was a makeup tutorial. Let me explain. Uh, the, because I'm, I'm doing more video stuff now. Plus we're on zoom all the time. Right. There's been like, you're constantly staring at your face and I don't know why my skin has been like very, very red. The other day I woke up and looked like I had a bat symbol on my forehead. It was red. It was very strange. And so (laughs) I've been trying to like, I asked my sister, like, how do I moisturize and do other things like this? But on camera, it just, it just like, if you go to a photo shoot, you know, professional, uh, cameraman or if you go on tv or anything like somebody's gonna touch up your 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 face just to make sure it's not you know just the, it's not distracting basically yeah. so i was looking at some yeah. at some videos yesterday and there was this one makeup artist and he said he said look don't do this do this um also do whatever you want because <laughs> makeup is make-believe it is play um have fun with it uh but you don't have to do all this other stuff and it was it was I loved hearing that, right? It's like, oh yeah, like this is, you're, you're telling a story by putting makeup on. What story do you want to tell? Just have fun with it. Do whatever you want. And and I came into it like very serious. <laughs> and then I saw that video. I was like, I felt so good about it. I was like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, what are we, what are we trying to do? Make believe. It's play. Um, at the core of it, that's that that made me more comfortable with it. And it's a, it's a sentiment. It's it's what we're talking about here, right? Like if we. There's a, there's a, there's a comfort to it. There's a safety to it. There's, um, but also it's, it's like core to the experience. I think, I think sometimes I think, what are the core things that I'm trying to tell people, (laughs) right? Like I can get into like the do's and do nots and here are the rules and here's the mindset and here's how to do it. And here's how we can train you. But ultimately it's like, oh yeah, like you want people to feel something, you know? And yeah. if they're starting with a feeling of, of play and make believe, uh, I think you're going to get way farther than, than if you're starting with, um, whatever, what's the opposite of play. I've heard people talk about the opposite of play. Hmm. I don't remember now. Um, I'm sure that there's different versions of I mean, that. Some people would say work, but that's maybe not the right answer. I think I've heard depression. Um, yeah, I think I, I've heard, I, I like that answer better. Yeah. 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 And I, yeah. If, if we can start with that foundation, oh, what we can accomplish. Oh, the places we'll go. <laughs> Get me to wear makeup. <laughs> I've tried in this episode to like bring different, I mean, I, I do this all the time, right? But I don't know why this episode has made me like think of so many different things from different places. There's so much that yeah. we can learn from, from other areas. And yeah, that's why, that's why I keep like, stretching out (laughs) the the most important spiritual practice i can think of is paying attention yes you're paying attention to why so why are these things coming up what are they what are they trying to show you what are they speaking about to you you know questions you can reflect on later yeah so they prove our point which is uh i believe which is what's the most important thing we're right (laughs) yeah (laughs) because look what everybody else in these other areas is saying too (laughs) that's probably it once you open the door to saying spiritual discovery, you know, now, now we're at the, you know, we're at the largest canvas we could possibly have for 
discussing these ideas because we're not down in the personal anymore. We're in the transpersonal. We're in the the thing that connects us to everything else kind of thing. Yeah. So I, I think you automatically have a free space to, to connect all these different ideas, which is pretty fascinating when you come to think about it. Yeah. Love that idea. Um, Menachem, uh, where can people find you? I, I definitely want people to be able to get a hold of you, ask you questions, uh, you know, hopefully not <laughs> overwhelm you with questions, but I mean, just to give people an idea of, of how they can connect to this amazing work you're doing. Sure. I, I do have a website that's in development. It's whatmakesyoucomealive.net. I love that. It's based on the Howard Thurman quote, don't ask what the world needs. Ask what makes you come alive and go do it. Because what the world needs is people who have come alive. Yes. I don't want I don't want <laughs> I don't I don't want to I don't want to sound uh I don't know how I'm going to sound. But I feel like that's what I was trying to say before and that's just a really great way to say it. <laughs> so it's one of my guiding principles of life and yeah. so people can reach me they can go to the website there they can also reach me at menachem m e n a c h e m at what makes you come alive.net. I also have a couple of Facebook pages um one's called the rabbi is in it's mostly about me going to conventions and talking to people on the convention floor. I carry around a Lucy cosplay sign. It says spiritual help on top and the rabbi is in on the bottom and I walk around <laughs> conventions. That's awesome. And I also have a Menachem Cohen spiritual direction and guidance Facebook page. Excellent. So this is how people can connect with you and get involved with the spiritual discovery, Dungeons and Dragons and, and Dream Chaser, the, the format you're putting together. Yes. With Peter Petrusha. Well, I, I just want to thank you for spending time with us today. I have been given a lot of food to chew on for a while. And even though I came to this discussion with my own preconceived notions, there's still an open-endedness that, that exists as a result of us talking, which is pretty fantastic. <laughs> yeah. what, what more can you ask for? Uh, thank exactly. you guys so much for this discussion. First of all, it's my first group experience in being on a podcast. The previous ones have all been one-on-one. -on -one. So thank yeah. you for that. And thank you for helping me and my thinking. I took a few notes as we were going and I'm going to be re-listening re when, it, when it's broadcast to remind myself of some ideas that came up. So thank you for that. And blessings to you guys as we, um, as we go on with the work and navigating these challenging times we're in. Thank you. All right. So for everyone else out there, Keep on rolling for spiritual discovery Amen. and change. May you continue. May everybody continue to discover and learn what makes them come alive. Love that quote so much. Yeah. You've been listening to Rolling for Change, a proud member of the Geek Therapy Network. Over on the Discord chat at geektherapy.com forward slash discord, you'll find an amazing community of people who are friendly, geeky, and supportive. If you'd like to connect with Rolling for Change, you can email gamers at rollingforchange.com. Our theme music was provided by Rocket Scientists. You can find more of their music at bandcamp.com forward slash rocket scientists. Thanks so much for listening. Stay safe and keep on rolling for change. <laughs>